You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, when you found your place, we'll just open in prayer. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, this is my last uh, my last chance to pray for this message, and Lord, I um, just am completely relying on the power of your word. Uh, Lord, my only desire is to be faithful to your word, and so Lord, to the extent that I do that, I pray that your word would resound in the ears of its hearers, that your Holy Spirit would work through your word as you promised, and uh, you would make these your saints better, you would sanctify them, and you would you'd cause them to grow in holiness and in their exaltation and love for you and for our Savior. And Father, if there's anything that I might say that isn't right or that doesn't exalt our Savior, I pray, Lord, that that would be forgotten and that we'd remember something else, um, a song, a prayer, or some good word. And so, Lord, I pray with uh, with all my heart that your word would, would have its way and its purpose with your people whom you bought with the blood of their Son. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Peter 1, we're going to read verses 3 through 5. This will be our, our focus will be on verse uh, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So this morning our focus is going to be specifically on the phrase, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We want to understand how it is that our regeneration is through or by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is that connection? But before we deal with that precise question, I want to just briefly go back and and make sure we understand the context of 1 Peter, the book as a whole, and of the passage. So 1 Peter is very clear on its theme, it's very clear on its, its point throughout the book. Peter writes to encourage and exhort believers in times of suffering and persecution and sorrow. He urges them to live a, a happy, joyful life of obedience to Christ, even in the midst of what was for them a very, very difficult life. So the, that theme is throughout the book. This is one verse that I thought kind of encapsulated that theme. This is from chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So Peter reminds his readers that their suffering is according to God's will. He exhorts them to entrust their souls to that faithful creator, but continue to do good, to continue to live in obedience to the revealed uh, word of God. So in the passage, that's the context of the book. In the passage, uh, starting with verse 3, we are to praise God for his great mercy. That mercy being shown initially and most obviously to us in our regeneration. He has caused us to be born again. This is regeneration. And the last time we saw that our regeneration was to a living hope. That hope is our great inheritance. Remember the imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance reserved in heaven for you. It's certain, it's secure. It's as secure as the power of God himself. 
And that's what we did last time. And last time I said that I would reserve a discussion of the phrase through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead until this time, or until the next time, which this time is the next time. So this is the time to go through that and really address what does it mean to, that our regeneration is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? It wasn't obvious to me when I first began studying the passage. Okay, so we're to bless God because in his mercy he's regenerated us to a living hope. That's our secure heavenly inheritance. We get that. Then how, how is it that that regeneration is through or by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? What's that connection? So I want to look first at regeneration. I want to understand exactly what that is. And then we're going to look at resurrection and understand exactly what that is. And then look at the connection between the two of them. So I'm going to start with a kind of a review, I guess, of regeneration. If, if anybody ever listens to these sermons in First Peter in close proximity, this is the seventh one. They'll think that I'm obsessed with regeneration because every message has to say a lot about regeneration. Well, part of that is because I, when I'm preaching, it's, there's a broad distance between them, so I kind of have to do a bit of a review every time. Uh, but this passage, well, also I am obsessed with regeneration, but this passage, <laughs> submit that, that, if you look at it, verses 3 through 5, the main point, the main verb or predicate of the passage is God causing us to be born again. That's what the passage is about. The rest flows from it. And God has caused us to be born again. Uh, who, according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. All the other are phrases around God has caused us to be born again. All right, so the, the word that is translated has caused us to be born again is one word in the Greek. It's the word anaganao, and it means has caused us to be born again. Uh, the King James has it, hath begotten us again, has caused us to be born again. So what is it? What is this second birth and why do we need it? All right, that's what we're going to spend some time on. So a person who has not been born again, who has not been regenerated, is what the Bible calls a spiritually dead person. A person who is spiritually dead or sometimes just dead. Uh, Ephesians 2 re- refers to it as dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, Jesus in, in Luke 9 and, and also Matthew 8, remember what he told the guy, let the dead bury their own dead? There's a would-be disciple of Christ, and he says, I'll follow you, but I want to go back and bury my dad. And he said, let the dead bury their own dead. Let the dead, those who are spiritually dead within the, this man's family and the circle of his acquaintances, let, let them bury this person who's physically dead. All right, so spiritual, spiritually dead. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to be spiritually dead? Sometimes we use terms like total depravity, total inability or radical depravity. That's the state of a spiritually dead person. I'm going to read you several different passages and some um, quotes around these passages so we understand exactly what it means to be spiritually dead. If we understand what it means to be spiritually dead, we then understand what it means to be made spiritually alive and why we need that. Okay? So that's what we're doing. This is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the state of spiritual death, that unregenerate natural state, should refer to a spiritual blindness. The the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So the gospel isn't reasonable uh, or desirable 
to a man in his natural state. He's, he has neither the ability to, to understand the gospel, or, and he doesn't have the desire to be reconciled to God, which is the great offer of the gospel. It means nothing. All that we see of the benefits of the gospel, the, the uh, being with our master, the hope of heaven, uh, the, the forgiveness of sin, all of those wonderful benefits mean nothing to the natural man. Okay? It's neither desirable nor intelligible. Uh, MacArthur and Mayhew in their systematic theology put it this way, quote, This is what Paul means when he describes unbelievers as dead in their trespasses and sins. He does not mean that they're motionless or stagnant. He means they're devoid of the spiritual life that allows them to see the true beauty of the glory of Christ revealed in the gospel. The essence of spiritual death is spiritual blindness. Man's spiritual perception is so disordered by sin that he has no taste for what is objectively delightful, that is, the gospel of the glory of Christ, but is infatuated with what is objectively repulsive and disgusting, that is, sin and the glory of self. The unregenerate man pursues what is worthless because he's blind to its detriment and refuses what is most precious because he is blind to its value. Thus, when the objective beauty of Christ is held forth in the gospel message, the unregenerate man sees no glory in Christ, and therefore left to himself, he'll ever and always choose to reject the gospel. End quote. Well put. This is John 3, 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So this being born of the Spirit, or regenerated, born again, is necessary for entrance into the kingdom of God. It's something a person must have. John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay, but isn't drawing, doesn't that mean to be like wooed? Wooed by the sweetness of Christ, by the, by the offer of the gospel, to persuade the free will of man on his own, to come to Christ to accept this wonderful offer? Isn't that what the word draws means? Well, I think I have every use of the word draws in the New Testament, of that particular word. I think I have it here. If I'm missing some, it's not on purpose. You might think it's on purpose because all of these have the same sort of meaning. The word translated draws is used in Scripture of drawing a sword. Drawing a sword. Drawing a net, a fishnet. Uh, It's translated as dragging, dragging Paul and Silas into the marketplace, dragging Paul out of the temple. It's used in James of the the rich people that uh, oppress the James readers and drag them into court. Does that sound like wooing? Please, sword, come out of the scabbard. It's not wooing. God is doing something, not against the will of man, but in spite of the will of man, right? a sinner must be made alive. Apart from the work of the Spirit in regeneration and the effectual calling of an elect sinner, they're completely unable to enter the kingdom of God. They can't, they can't hear the gospel. They don't desire the truths of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon, you always have to have a Spurgeon quote. It makes your, the ratings on your sermons go way up. <laughs> Should just read a Spurgeon. Should memorize a Spurgeon sermon. So he's preaching on the doctrine of total depravity. And this is a little bit longer quote, but it's really awesome. So you'll love it. Quote, first, it, and it is man's inability to come to Christ. First, it lies in the obstinacy of the human will. 
Oh, says the Arminian, men may be saved if they will. We reply, my dear sir, we all believe that. But it is just the if they will that is the difficulty. We assert that no man will come to Christ unless he is drawn. No, we do not assert it, but Christ himself declares it. You will not come unto me that you might have life. And as long as that you will not come stands on record in Holy Scripture, Christ shall not be brought to believe in any doctrine of the freedom of the human will. It is strange how people, when talking about free will, talk of things which they do not at all understand. Now, says one, I believe men can be saved if they will. My dear sir, that is not the question at all. The question is, are men ever found naturally willing to submit to the humbling terms of the gospel of Christ? We declare upon scriptural authority that the human will is so desperately set on mischief, so depraved and so inclined to everything that is evil, so disinclined to everything that is good, that without the powerful, supernatural, irresistible influence of the Holy Spirit, no human will will ever be constrained towards Christ. End quote. This is John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And a slave is a slave. A slave is not free to do otherwise but that which is commanded by its master. And if, if a person is a slave of sin, they can do nothing but sin. This is from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Quote, We're utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil. End quote. Louis Burkhoff in his systematic theology, quote, when we speak of man's corruption as total inability, we mean two things. And this is really good. If you want to understand what total inability is, I think this is a great definition. We mean two things. One, that the unrenewed sinner cannot do any act, however insignificant, which fundamentally meets with God's approval and answers to the demands of God's holy law. And two, that he cannot change his fundamental preference for sin and self to love for God, nor even make an approach to such a change. Right? That's spiritual deadness. That's total inability. Romans 8, 7, and 8. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is spiritual deadness. From the canons of Dort, quote, Therefore all men are conceived in sin and are by nature children of wrath, incapable of saving good, prone to evil, dead in sin, and in bondage thereto. And without the regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit, they're neither able nor willing to return to God to reform the depravity of their nature or to dispose themselves to reformation. End quote. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. He cannot understand them. Right? Total inability. So this is the state of the unregenerate man. Hopefully that's clear enough. Dead in sin, unable to save himself, unable and unwilling to repent, put his faith in Christ, spiritually dead. Okay, this is one of my two analogies, Seth. And I, Seth delights in destroying analogies. That's what he does in Sunday school. I cannot use analogies in Sunday school. So he asked if he could raise his hand today, and I, we said, no, you cannot comment at all on this. So, if someone is physically dead, that's an analogy, right? If someone is physically dead, do we go up to them and say, you should live. You should start breathing. You really should start breathing. I think you should, your heart should pump. Right? Um, hmm. Let's get the music going, right? Let's get the music going. Let's make sure the, the pastor has rasp in his voice, because I guess rasp is really good for evangelism. 
And let's have the music go up when it's supposed to go up and down when it's supposed to go down. And uh, we'll have the lighting and the organ. And We want them to know we're friendly to dead bodies. We're dead body friendly church. So you come here as a dead body and you'll feel comfortable. That's, that's it. God has a wonderful plan for your life. No, what do we do? If there's a dead body. Well, most of us would just like, Call 911, but <laughs> CPR, you, you pound on their chest. You force their heart to beat. You force air down their lungs. And if you have one of those defibrillators, maybe is how you say it, if you have one of those, bam, 1,700 volts. You, you force the heart to beat, right? I don't know how many volts I said that. I think something. Okay. I didn't, see, uh, I didn't see Steve here today, so um, there might be other people that know. Um, okay, it's just an analogy. I'm not going to go further than that. The point is, the unregenerate man needs to be made alive. There has to be some radical act. He's spiritually dead. And that's a supernatural divine act. God has caused us to be born again. It is God who gives us faith and repentance. Okay. He makes us new. He makes us alive. He, he makes us responsive to the gospel. He calls us effectually. He converts us. He gives us faith toward, repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. That's the work of God. Okay, so we understand that. We understand that. We're made new in our mind. That's regeneration. We're made new in our mind and our affections. We're made capable of truly good works. Uh, we're made capable of spiritual growth, spiritual enlightenment. We can hear the word of God and understand it and, and comprehend the gospel. We can believe the gospel, assent to the gospel, commit to the gospel. But how is that regeneration through the resurrection of Christ from the dead? That's the part we don't have yet. So let's look at resurrection briefly. I don't even know why there's a clock back there because I don't know how long I've I should let, when I say a word briefly, I look at the clock like, I wonder if I'm really going to be brief. I'm not going to be brief. Uh, and besides, there's a time change. You're just starting to wake up. You're totally fine. You're not hungry for another hour. Okay. So you know that the resurrection of Christ is central to Christianity. If Christ is not raised, all the claims of the gospel are false. All the claims of Christianity are false. Uh, if, if Christ is not raised, we should not be here. Okay? It's absolutely central to the Christian faith. So you might think, because it's so central, we'll look at that centrality here in a minute, but because it is so central, you might think that it would be extremely involved to do a thorough examination of the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when I've taught on this, I've, it, I've found that you can actually be quite brief when speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not because the scripture doesn't have much to say about it, but because there's no controversy. Right? The, the depth the, and clarity and repetition, of the dependence on the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, it, it, it's so extensive that there really isn't a controversy that has to be dealt with within the church. All right, so I can be somewhat brief, not really at all, but you, it makes you feel like it makes you feel like this will end at some point if I keep saying it. Right? <laughs> Uh, okay, what is resurrection? So specifically, what is the resurrection of Christ? That's what we have to know. And then there is something fundamentally different about the resurrection of Christ, different from any other resurrection. And we'll get to that, and that will help us understand what Peter is getting at when he says regeneration is through the resurrection of Christ. 
So first of all, what happened in the tomb? It was a resurrection. It was not a swoon. Like he didn't faint and then he woke up later. It wasn't resuscitation. Like he wasn't still alive, but you couldn't really tell. And so they had a defibrillator. That's not what happened. He was dead. His body was dead. Attested to by the Roman soldiers. They, They put a spear in his side and there was an issue of blood and water. He was dead. They took his body down, dead, and they wrapped him in grave clothes and put him in a tomb, dead, for three days. He was dead. His body was dead. Now, he didn't stay dead. His body rose again. His body came to life. Bodily resurrection. He was recognizable as Jesus. They they knew who he was. Now, at first there was some confusion, but think about it. The last time they saw their friend, last time the disciples saw their friend Jesus... He was dead. He'd been beaten, bloodied, beyond recognition. He was dead. So yeah, a little bit of a surprise to see him in his glorified state, sure. But ultimately he was recognizable, wasn't he? He had the same scars. He was Jesus. Uh, He ate food. Had a physical body, he ate food. He wasn't a phantom. It wasn't a spiritual manifestation of something. It was Jesus Christ, body and soul. Okay, not a phantom, not a ghost. He, he touched and was touched. Physical resurrection. So that's the clear teaching of Scripture, a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Gospels testify to the resurrection. Uh, Acts proclaims the resurrection. The epistles depend on the resurrection. Revelation looks at the future work of the risen Christ. The entire New Testament is soaked in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, The Old Testament also attests to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is admittedly more vague uh, as it looks forward. But you can see the the fact of a man who is God, someone who dies and rises again, that's uh, inescapable in the Old Testament. You can see it in in Job, in 2 Samuel, in Psalms, other places. So there's plenty of biblical evidence for the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you take your Bible seriously at all, you believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe the Bible to be the Word of God, you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's strong evidence also outside of Scripture, but I'm speaking here to Christians. You believe the Bible. You believe it's the inspired Word of God. So you believe in the resurrection of Christ. There's overwhelming biblical data about that. Okay? Okay. So I'm going to do something here. I'm going to criticize a song. I know it's dangerous because for some reason people love songs. And this is a good song, okay? It's a good song. It just has a couple, it has a couple of weaknesses, and this is one of the two weaknesses that it has. And I don't, if, I'm not going to say what the other one is. And it's not that it's a lie. What it says is not a lie, okay? So it's a, I, I will sing it. The song is, He Lives. Not because he lives. Uh, I panicked briefly when I saw that up there, but it's a different song. He lives. You know the song. He lives. He lives. We always sing it on, on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we sang it actually a few weeks ago in February. Uh, it's a fine song. There's one part. You ask me how I know he lives. What's the response? Seriously? 
Is that the best we can do? Is that the best answer we have to the question, how do I know that the Savior lives? Oh, he lives within my heart. Now, that's a true statement, but is that the best evidence? No, it's, it's irritatingly weak. You ask me how I know he lives? It's in the inspired Word of God. It's the testimony of Scripture. It's the very Word of the invincible, eternal Word of God. It, is, it repeats it with force and clarity that my Savior lives. I know He lives. I know He lives. I know He lives more than I know anything else. But not because He lives within my heart, which He does. I'm in Him and He in me, but that's not the best testimony we can give. That's not the best evidence, is it? It's as if we... We can't say that the Word of God is, is our evidence, is our testimony. Uh, okay, leave that behind. If, and when we sing it, I'm going to sing it. It's fine because it's not false. It also says he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way, but we, that's something else. Jim's writing a book for that one. You could read that book. Okay, so there are other evidences of the resurrection from outside the scripture, but we just, again, honestly, the evidence, the evidence for the resurrection, it's, it's obvious, it's clear, uh, it's undeniable. You believe it. You believe it with all of your intellect, all of your emotions, all of your will. Nothing will ever separate you from that belief. No amount of trouble or persecution could ever separate you from that belief. You're a Christian. Now, any reasonable person, Christian or not, who is capable of, well, technically true, who is capable of evaluating the evidence objectively would come to the conclusion that Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Uh, his followers, they're the best evidence. His followers who absolutely would have known the truth, they took him down from the grave, from the cross, and put him in the tomb. They would have known the truth. They're willing to give their lives to him. They gave everything. They gave their whole lives to the point of death to him. They wouldn't have done this if it was a hoax, if he had died like just any other man. It's not possible. It makes no sense. But the unregenerate person's not capable of that kind of reasoning. Right? They're just not. Why? Because, look, if Jesus Christ is alive, what a threat. It's a threat to their master, their, to their most precious master, their sin. A living Christ confronts, doesn't he? He's got to be dealt with. A living Christ has to be dealt with. He threatens my ability to wallow in my sin with impunity, without guilt and shame. I'm going to have to deal with this judge, this living judge. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, I've got a problem. And so I deny it. I simply deny it without evidence. You know, no amount of evidence is ever going to convince somebody of the, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ or of any of the truths of the gospel. There's ample evidence. It's not a lack of evidence, remember that? It's a love for darkness. Minds have to be made able to process that evidence. They have to be made willing to process the evidence objectively. They have to be regenerated. Right? That's the only way that someone's ever going to understand the identity of the risen Savior and their need for that Savior. Right, so that, that's the evidence for the resurrection. And won't do much with that. The centrality of the resurrection. Let's look at that. This is the most famous and well-known passage on the centrality of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19. Very emphatic. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. 
Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we're of all men most to be pitied. You get it? If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. The resurrection of Christ is absolutely essential to the gospel. It's fundamental. But why? I wondered that why. Why exactly? Why is it that Paul would say that the resurrection is so fundamental to our salvation? There's lots of benefits that accrue to the believer because of the resurrection of Christ. I'm going to look at three of them. Um, the first two, and then the third one is how it connects to regeneration. So this is, the first one is the resurrection ensures our justification, which that makes it fundamental to our salvation. Romans 4, 22 through 25. This is Paul speaking on the faith of Abraham. Therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Here's the key. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification, because of or for our justification. So he was delivered over because of our transgressions, our sins. This is a reference to the atoning work of Christ, the punishment and death of Christ on the cross. That was the atonement for gaining the forgiveness of our sins. But it's in the resurrection that we are justified, that we are declared righteous before God. It's in the resurrection that we are declared righteous. We gain the imputed righteousness of Christ, his perfect life, in the resurrection. The resurrection is proof that the Father accepted the sacrifice, that the sacrifice was sufficient. It proves that Christ had sufficient value in himself to pay your sin debt and mine. That's what the resurrection proves. Christ is free from the curse of sin, the death of body and soul. He's free from that, and he can free his subjects from that curse. So Ephesians 2.6 says God, raised, God has raised us up with him. We are risen with him, identified with him in his resurrection. If he had not been risen, we don't know that his sacrifice was sufficient to pay the debt, if he stayed dead. I use an analogy for this. It's a really good analogy. There's no holes in it. Uh, it's an analogy about gift cards. So I like gift cards. You, you probably like gift cards. You can spend gift card, and it's like you're not spending anything, right? So gift cards are fun to spend. I like gift cards. So let's say you got a gift card for your birthday. And I'm, you're at Yoke's going to spend your, birth car, your, uh, your gift card. And I'm behind you in line. And you get $100 worth of stuff. And it's exactly $100. And they ring you up and it's exactly $100 with tax. Okay, $100. You hand them their gift card and they boop, boop, boop. And then you walk out with your bags. They give you a receipt. They say, have a nice day. You walk out with your bags. What do I know about the value of your gift card? I know it's at least $100, right? It could be a jillion dollars. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But I know it's at least 100 I know it was sufficient to cover the debt for which it was intended, right? That's what we know from the resurrection of Christ. It's the same thing. He walked away from that cross. His sacrifice was sufficient to pay the debt for all for whom it was intended. That's what we know. 
We know that from the resurrection of Christ. That's proof that the sacrifice was sufficient. It's proof that our justification is perfect. It's complete. All right, so that's the, that's the centrality of the resurrection. A second benefit of the resurrection, of the bodily resurrection of Christ, it guarantees our own future bodily resurrection. One day we'll be bodily resurrected just as he was. I'm not going to talk about that at all because we're only about a month and a half away from Resurrection Sunday and I don't have time. So, 1 Peter 1.3 again then. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, regeneration is through or by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here we have to identify the fundamental difference between the resurrection of Christ and all other resurrections. Clearly there's lots of other resurrections in Scripture. Well, not lots, but there's some. Okay, In the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha raised some people from the dead. In the New Testament, Christ raised people from the dead. The apostles raised people from the dead. So there were resurrections, bodily resurrections. Right? So were those other resurrections bodily resurrections like Christ, like Christ was a bodily resurrection? Yes. Right? Lazarus' body was dead, came to life. So that's the same, um, sort of. But here's the key. Did those people come back to the same type of life they had before or to a new type of life? Lazarus came out of the grave. Did he die again later on? Yeah. Lazarus isn't walking around somewhere today going like, hey, yeah, that's me. I'm that Lazarus. There probably is somebody saying that, but it's not the real Lazarus. <laughs> Lazarus, is, his bones are in a grave somewhere. He, he died. Okay? That's the difference. Jesus Christ was raised to a new type of life, a new quality of life, a resurrection life. His spirit was joined to a glorified body containing a new type of life. We refer to this new life as eternal life because that's one thing that's very different about it. It's eternal. It lasts forever. But that's not the only thing that's different about it. Another thing that's different about it is that it is a spiritual type of life. It is a life that is alive spiritually, not dead spiritually. Starting to see a connection. All right? He was resurrected to a spiritually alive life as opposed to a spiritually dead life. Let's see, where am I? Romans 6.4 Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. You seeing the connection? As Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We walk in a new type of life. It's a new life. It's the life that animates the new person, the new creature. That's this life. So it's in Ephesians 2 where we learn that we're dead in our sins. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 then tells us, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You beginning to see the relationship? Ephesians 1, 19 to 20. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? So what is the pow- his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So the power that has worked within us is the power that is at wor- was at work when Christ was raised from the dead. The power, the life that animates the glorified body of Christ 
is the very life that regenerates us and that animates us and gives us power to live, uh, power to live as, as disciples of Christ. Okay? That's, it's that life that brings life. It allows us to do what we must do. It's the, the life that made us alive to Christ, to hear the gospel, to embrace the gospel. It is that life that empowers us to live, to do good, and if necessary, to suffer well. That's the point of the of First Peter. Okay, now we've made the connection. Um, back to First Peter again. Just blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? What does it say? Because he has shown us great mercy. How did he show us great mercy? By causing us to be born again. Born again to what? Born again to a living hope, this great inheritance, heaven. And now born again how? Through the life of the resurrected, glorified Christ. We are made alive toward God through the life of the resurrected Christ. We can now hear the call of, the, of our Savior. We can hear his call through the gospel because of the resurrected life of Christ in us. So then what's the application of this? You can always make application, but it's best to make the application that the Scripture makes. So look at verse 6. 1 Peter 1.6 In this you greatly rejoice, even, now, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this you rejoice. In what? In, in all that proceeds here. Right? In, in, in everything that's gone before. You're chosen. You're the object of His mercy. You've been made alive. You go through these things. You're made alive by the power of God. Your, your salvation is protected. The, the power that you have, the, the life that you have, comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What else are you going to do but rejoice? You're saved. And you have all of these benefits that are listed. So even in the midst of suffering, the only appropriate response to contemplation of who you are and what you've been given is joy. Settled joy, contentment, peace, courage. You can do this. You live in the very life of the resurrected King Jesus. Right? And you can live away in such a way that your faith is proven. That your faith is, is uh, let's see, more, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, yeah, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that next time, but the, the, that praise and glory and honor, that is, I believe, that is your praise and glory and honor, which of course you'll turn back to your king, right? But you can live your life in such a way that you can receive praise from your Savior, from your King. Well done, good and faithful servant. But only because of the, the resurrected life that you can live. Okay, so I'll close with this related verse. I think it's appropriate. It's a good exhortation in light of our identification with the risen Christ. This is uh, Colossians 3.1. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep seeking the things above. Let's pray together. 
Father, this, uh, this life, this sanctifying life that you have chosen to, to put us into and the trials that you choose to send our way and the joys and the temptations and the, the, the good things and, and all, of, all of what constitutes this complicated life. Uh, we know that we can live this life now through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have that life that, that animated the risen Christ and animates him still today. Uh, we have that same, that same life and that same power. And so, Lord, may we glorify and exalt your Son, and may we, uh, may we share the gospel with our words and with our deeds. May we be lights to this world, no matter what comes our way, uh, all because of the resurrection of our Savior, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.